Welcome to the Beyond X podcast. I'm your host, Mahir Ibrahimi, and every week I speak to leading industry experts, trailblazers, and market leaders, where we discuss the key topics of our time in detail and have a deep dive conversation on areas like sustainability, technology, urban planning and city design, health and fitness, and more. In today's episode of Beyond Tech, I spoke with Manoj Akarwal. In the first part of our discussion, we focus on addressing the various fears surrounding AI, on jobs and the future of work, the security challenges of AI systems, the security fears of the use of AI by bad actors, and the limited transparency and accountability of AI systems and platforms. In the second part of our discussion, we delve deeper into the future of AI by talking about artificial general intelligence, a super intelligent AI and the singularity, and the fears of a world-ending super AI. We then focused on the more positive side of things and touched on the potential benefits of super AI and explored concepts like multimodal AI, the emergent abilities of AI, and if an AI can ever possess emotions or even a soul. The different discussion points are all timestamped throughout the episode, so you can freely move around as you see fit. Minuch is a global thought leader in the field of artificial intelligence and data science holding an impressive four patents specifically in AI. He's the founder and chief innovation officer of Tetranoodle Technologies, a data science and AI consulting company he founded nearly 25 years ago. His past clients include the likes of Microsoft, IBM, Pearson Education, and more. Through his consultancy, Manuj has guided startups and industry giants alike across various industries, including fintech, edtech, retail and e-commerce, health tech, real estate, manufacturing, and more. And his personal journey is an especially interesting one, having started off at a $2 an hour factory job to now brushing shoulders with some of the biggest names in technology. So it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time. Great to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Pleasure to have you with us. Okay. I have a lot of topics to discuss, but I think before we get into the technical nitty gritty, I really want to tap into your backstory of how you moved from a factory worker to doing what you are doing, working with some of the biggest companies in the world, especially focused on AI and the advanced technologies. So give me an understanding of how that became a reality. What moved you toward AI specifically? What kind of intrigued you about this sector? When the story started as I was... 15, I had to figure out something to do at that age to be able to afford even basic stuff like my education. I was working in the factory, but one day I realized looking at some of these business magazines that there's more to the world. Like you can achieve much more by reading the inspirational stories of other entrepreneurs. And so that triggered in my mind that I need to create some value, something that can elevate me from my position as a factory worker making $2 a day to something more. And at that point, I was trying to look for what could it be. And internet was just coming along and computers were just becoming popular. So I found myself enrolled in a computer programming course and I just really fell in love with programming. And I knew that is what I was going to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then as uh, things progressed in life, a lot of things unfolded. I was going through this technology wheels, helping a lot of startups build their products, a lot of Fortune 500 companies, not a lot, a handful of them, but building large scale systems that always pushed me to look for projects where you can use technology to create a big impact on large populations, maybe in healthcare, maybe in education. So these type of projects 
are really interesting. And then another dimension of keeping ahead is utilizing latest technology. So whenever there is a new technology introduced, especially for engineers who enjoy work, geeky engineers like myself, we always try to play with a new technology, like a new toy. So artificial intelligence falls into that category. In fact, artificial intelligence has been around since the 70s. I started working with it around 2007. And I've been working on it for about 15 or 16 years to solve some really challenging and interesting problems in, in healthcare and education. Sounds great. That's very interesting though. I mean, I love when you say it to the geeky stuff, it's like you're speaking to, exactly to me and I'm hoping to quite a few of the listeners, but it's so true. It's just the possibilities are endless. It's almost like whatever we can imagine can be done with AI. There could potentially be a use case, if not today, eventually. Yeah, yeah. But I'm always a glass half full kind of person. I think there's a lot of people who are a bit more pessimistic or afraid of AI. There's a lot of fears going around these days. Some say it's sparked by the letter, the moratorium letter, if you want to call it, that Elon Musk and some other experts in your industry put forward. But I think this has been a fear that's been with us for a long time. There's movies that kind of iRobot, The Matrix, they sort of put that idea into our minds. Before we dig into each of the aspects of this, what are your overall thoughts on this? Should we be scared of AI? Where do you stand on this overall debate? I've been having so many conversations about this with a lot of people and few themes that come up. One is that it will take away a lot of jobs, right? So that is a big fear. And I feel like, yes, there's going to be job displacement, but I feel like every new technology wave creates new jobs. And that's where most people argue, oh, this time it's going to be different. But I believe we are not even sure what will be the definition of work. Because let's say we need, like we are so comfortable that all our physical needs are met, but we need somebody to listen to us. That could be a job worth, even today, therapists get paid tons of money just to listen. So these kind of jobs may really alter based on the socioeconomic climate that is created by the use of AI. So let's not be mistaken that only physical activity, jobs, or producing something tangible is a job. It could be something more emotional at an emotional level. So that's one thing. So the second thing people are afraid of is AI taking over the world and killing humanity. So <laughs> that comes from the Terminator movie, right? Now to that, what I say is that if we consider every war, that has been started by humans. It's a result of generational trauma, jealousy, hate, these kind of really deep emotional scars that erupts in war. And now if AI is considered another species, somebody will have to be so in tune with themselves that they understand technology as well as human nature so well, they can create an algorithm which simulates generations of trauma and generations of hate, which will then tell the AI to plan for it, killing another species. It's just absurd to me. Yeah, you made me think and that the trauma aspect, it's so true. It's almost, we think automatically of destruction and war because that's our history. Yeah. That's yeah, humanity yeah. in a nutshell, right? We don't even know how many times the world had to restart itself because we destroyed it. Exactly. But that's such a good point. Yeah, there's no certainty. Just because we think that way that the AI is going to do the exact same thing. Yeah, I want to definitely I tap more into that. And then when people say, oh, all these people like Elon Musk are saying, stop it. Elon Musk may have different ideas because of different reasons, because 
he of all people have invested the most. His future depends the most on AI. Data is everything to Tesla, to SpaceX. Without AI, without data, those rockets are not going to right. land perfectly back on land. It's all AI. And for him to say, oh, stop AI, is there are other motives <laughs> behind the themes that people don't right. read. And then the other aspect is the headlines that we read are themselves controlled by AI and they are optimized to utilize the most sensationalized headlines. So true. It's a cycle that if people understand it, then they say, oh, if we don't use AI, we are screwed. Yeah, because it's drama, right? It's things that are existential that create a fear, enhanced emotion that we're more likely to read. And being afraid of AI is going to more likely tell us to read. So it's almost the AI is feeding us these stories itself. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now yeah. that's maybe something to be afraid of too, the impact exactly. and advent of AI in social media. But that's so yeah. true. I, I love the way you put that holistically. It yeah. makes perfect sense. I want to start with the first thing you talked about. So jobs. It's, I think, the biggest fear that a lot of people have. It's probably the most realistic fear, if you will, of all the fears that you just phrased yourself. And it's the one that it's almost the most difficult, if you ask me, to prepare for. Because, yes, we are evolving, right? This is, we're past even the fourth industrial revolution, but we're evolving into what technology can enable us and we can leverage technology to do for us. And I think a lot of times people were saying back in the day when cash tellers were being moved out and ATMs were coming to be, and it was, oh, this is going to destroy this industry. Do we want to now wait in a queue again to get our cash from the bank where we can just put our card and get our money in 30 seconds max, we're done, right? And there's a camera and everything is secure and all of that beautiful stuff. So I think that evolution is logical. But like you said yourself, a lot of people are saying, no, this is different. This is going to be coming for different kinds of jobs. And I think in the beginning of the AI discussion, we were talking about like long haul truck drivers and cashiers in shops and restaurants, they would be replaced. Now we're talking about with ChatGPT and generative AI, okay, copywriters are going to be replaced. Coders are going to be replaced. At least technical coders are going to be replaced. And lawyers could potentially be replaced. Our very first episode, I spoke with Dr. Professor Derek Woodgate, and he was saying that it's not so much that these people will be replaced. Yes, some of these aspects will be replaced and changed to AI. Some people will try to do the cheapest thing. So instead of hiring a copywriter, they will go to ChatGPT and say, write me copy. But it's not going to be great. And I think if you don't have the technical capacity to understand what great and bad look like, you're not going to be able to fix that. So you're getting this garbage in. You don't know what it is. You're like, oh, this is gold. But that's not always the case. And I think what he really highlighted was that it's not that Lawyers, for example, we replaced. It's that lawyers who don't tap into ChatGPT to do their research and to do their grant work that will be replaced. Exactly. So it can kind of help us do three, four times this work. I see you're nodding. So what are your thoughts on this? What do you think the sort of ramifications are? And maybe expand a bit more on what you were saying about how this is going to revolutionize the way we think of work. Yeah. So let's think about any technologies. When automobile was invented, like 1920s or something like that, there was a huge horse cart industry everywhere. And when the automobile was invented, like everybody was worried, like it was a huge industry. What was going to happen to all these horses, the people who take care of the horses, clean up the stuff and fix their nails in the hooves and all that. But the point is that all those people got employed in automobile industry at much higher wages. Again, when internet was a thing, before that, there was no such thing as a website developer. Then the uh, smartphone came, there was right. new jobs like 
app developers were created. What will happen is that some people, and this is a part of how human beings adopt new technology, then innovators, they are like a handful of people, like 2-3% of the population. They are going to start adopting AI and they are going to start getting better and better. And then the few 10% or 12% of the population will look at that competition and say, oh, they are doing so much better. I should catch up to them. They'll right. start adopting AI. So this is, this, these waves of adoption happen in every industry, every geography, and it's called diffusion of innovation. So it's the scientific theory. So it, every technology is adopted to that rate. So now what will happen is people who refuse to move along. So let's say the first wave of adoption happens, second wave happens. And if they don't catch up by the third wave, they are going to be forced out of business or jobs and they will need to settle for lower level jobs. And this happens even today. There's so many jobs that used to be relevant and they are not relevant anymore. For example, when you go to old buildings, there used to be a lift operator, a person mm -hmm. sitting there pressing the buttons. And now in many, you don't even have the button. You just have a card and then you don't know where to go. So these kind of jobs disappeared, but then these people upskilled and got other jobs. And that's what's going to happen now as well. And the definition of job, the way that I look at the world is we are living in an era where our cognitive ability and thinking ability is rewarded. Mm. Starting from the caveman days where somebody said, okay, I want to kill a big animal so that I can rest for 30 days and eat. So they had to invent the lever and figure out technology to kill a big elephant. And so whoever could think of solutions, they were rewarded. But now machines can do more thinking and deeper thinking. So we are going to be moving into more emphasis on the emotional side of human existence because the thinking can be offloaded to the machine so what is left is the emotion there will be jobs where emotions will be rewarded like creative jobs in the renaissance period musicians craftsmen painters sculptors they were the considered the top of the society they were rewarded the most so we have been through these periods of history where the emotional side becomes more important and i think that's what we will see at least for the foreseeable future. And that's what can be regarded the definition of work. Because today, <laughs> frankly speaking, if a young person goes to his or her parents and says, okay, I want to be a painter, I don't think their parents right. will be very pleased about it. You know? Right. It's not yeah. considered work. Yeah, this generation's version of that is TikTok, right? Oh, I yeah, want to exactly. be a TikTok star. And even yeah. that, if you think about it, now we can automate that too to some degree, yeah, I think. Exactly, exactly. So many people, given the opportunity, they want to do whatever activities that require very little work from them. They just post a few pictures here and there, post a few videos and they get money. Oh, yeah. So do we really need to work? Does, do we really want to work? Is it an inherent requirement for humanity? Maybe we just, if the robots did all the work for us and we were just fed, do you think that would be enough for us? Now we are getting into the metaphysical part of the discussion. The way that I look at the universe is basically humans are creating, they are always imagining the next step. When one problem is solved, we find another problem. We are curious. So let's say we have solved all the major problems. Climate change is okay. We found the cure for cancer. Do you think like people who retire, they just sit down and then do nothing. Like they get curious, they read books, they, they have time to spend with family. Those are meaningful things. Now, the thing is, 
we just don't value the value that activity as much because we have more important things to do. But when those things are taken care of, then we have spare time to devote to these other efforts. And yeah, things will change in from that perspective. So essentially, you do agree then that AI will be different with how it displaces jobs compared to past evolutions and even revolutions in technology like the internet. It will be, but I don't think it will be so abrupt that people will say, okay, I today I have my job, tomorrow I don't. It will transition just like any other technology has transitioned. In 1990s, the internet came along and if you ask a person, hey, do you need an email address? Would you like a website? They'll be like, what? what's a website? I have yellow pages, right. so I'm good. But today you cannot function without a website, but it happened slowly. We didn't notice like one day you didn't need a website. You hear multiple people say, oh, where, what's your website address? And then you're forced to think everybody's asking for it. So I better get on with it. Yes, this adoption will happen, but it's not going to be like so abrupt that people will be in shock. They will be given enough opportunity to understand it, learn, adapt it, and then become good at it. Okay. And when we're thinking of the future of jobs... What do you think firstly will be the jobs that will not change that much or like we will still need them irrespective of how far AI gets? And what new jobs do you think will come to be because of AI? Like you mentioned web designers, for instance, and social media designers. What's the equivalent of that for AI? I think jobs where you need personal touch, listening, like doctors, even if everything is done by machines, they need to provide the moral supports. Even the human touch or presence can help make a difference between somebody getting well or not. So those kind of jobs will stay. Again, education will be another one because no matter how smart the machines get, we will always need to learn. And we can only learn from experienced people. There's a, the machines can augment the learning but cannot replace humans. And then I believe what will also happen is we will start to see different classes of activities, businesses, meaning some people will say, okay, I want to go to an authentic human. Just like today we say, oh, we have organic food and we have non-organic food. So we may th start to look at services and products and saying, okay, produced by AI or produced by humans. We could say, okay, I want to go to a restaurant, but I don't want to deal with any of the servers or anything. I'll go to a fully mechanized AI-based restaurant or some people will say they're machines doing everything we have lost the touch with humans in this society so how about an authentic human 100 percent human experience so those kind of things will start to and that will be interesting to to see as well that's so true the second example is a really good one because even now you have handmade shoes for example yeah, that yeah. sell for so much more than a factory made shoe designer bags that are hand stitched persian carpets that are hand sewn saffron is the most expensive spice in the world because you have to hand pick it yeah exactly the machine can i mean maybe nanotechnology will allow some of these things to change but yeah. at the moment it can't that makes perfect sense i think that's an interesting yeah, yeah. way to look at it. when we're talking about jobs if someone wants to say prepare for their future so five ten years down the line if you're telling your kids okay you should do this job so that you'll be successful no matter what the AI revolution brings. Do you have any suggestions? I will say get better at asking questions. The reason is, let's take any science fiction movie where you have the most advanced robotics AI. Let's take Star Wars. So you have R2-D2 and CPO. And 
they are very smart, but still they need to be given orders. You do this and you do that. That's prompt engineering. That's a human telling them what to do, asking them questions. Okay, what's happening around me? What is the best action I can take? So you do that. So if you start getting better at asking questions and communicating, you will start to form that foundation to be able to work with these machines as they start to come up in the future. Because at the end of the day, no matter how automated the world becomes, humans will still drive that. We will be still asking the questions to the machine and saying, okay, do this for me, do right. this for me. So that's one skill. And that's saying, learn communication. And in, in, in today's world, we say, hey, learn <laughs> to communicate. So if you can learn that, I think that will take you much further ahead than any other technical skill. That's an interesting one because you could even apply that now, right? Prompt generation for ChatGPT. I've had people telling me, oh, ChatGPT is so useless. I asked it to do this and this, and it just, it has no idea what it's doing. And I'm like, no, you got to keep going back to it. Like, <laughs> press regenerate. If it doesn't do it right, ask it to fix it. It can do things. It's literally garbage in, garbage out. So if you're saying ChatGPT is useless, it's because you're asking it to do things <laughs> yeah, useless. Yeah, yeah. Or you're exactly. asking it in a useless way, but it is what you give it. And I think, I try to do as much of my work through it as I can. And you got to go back to it. It's not the smartest. Sometimes it gets something perfectly and then the second time gets it completely wrong. And you got to say, no, use the previous response. And that's what it is. So I think that's a really interesting thing. It's the future, especially as long as generative stays the way, right? Do you think AI will come to a place where it can just prompt itself to do everything it wants and we don't need to think about it? This? it see, the thing, the thing is, that is where I believe we are headed. Because at the end of the day, Let's take an example of the existing industry, financial transactions, stock exchanges throughout the world. 90% of the trades are done by machines between each other. Right. Only 10% are done by human beings, right? So it, the world's economic system is already controlled by robots, by AI. So now let's take social media, content, propaganda, all of this stuff. We know the distribution platforms like Google News, Facebook, Twitter, they are already AI algorithms. Now AI algorithms are going to produce the content. So now again, we are heading into a world where AI is going to fight the AI battle to see what, whose right. attention we can get more. So the humans are going to become more and more passive observers of what AI is doing in the world. And whoever controls and understands the algorithm and understand what impact it is going to have on the population, that will be the winner. That's so interesting. It's almost going to be the point where now we're fighting for eyeballs and attention. AI is going to create all the content, disseminate all the content. The next thing is the AI is going to be the consumer of the content too, I think. Exactly. We, and we then the other thing the is, yeah, exactly. And you have to determine another factor here. The amount of eyeballs are limited. This AI can explode to a thousand percent, but the amount of eyeballs are finite. Eight billion people, 24 hours. That's it. That's the currency. So these AI algorithms will just need to fight for that amount of attention. And that's, that will be the currency. Now the currency is changing as well. It's going to be attention rather than like dollars and bills. That's so interesting. It's almost like the matrix uses humans for energy and now it's using us for our eyeballs and attention. Yeah, financially. Exactly. That's crazy. Okay, I think we could keep talking about this for hours. So let's, let's move to some other topics as well. So we were talking about fears of AI. I think another big one is always security. 
I think there's a lot of ways to look at this. So let's start off with the security of AI systems and AI connected systems. Obviously, when something is connected to the AI, it could potentially be more vulnerable. That's a fear that at least a lot of people have. Again, when you connect things to IoT, for example, there's a whole debate on IoT security. But when you're just talking about AI, especially given the fact that we actually rely on AI to catch those breaches and problems, and especially given the number of data breaches and security hacks that we're seeing more and more of lately, where the organizations don't even know at the time, definitely don't tell people, but don't know at the time or don't find out for months later that, oh, somebody went in and stole all this data and took all this user data. What are your thoughts on this? How do we prepare for this? What's the next step on this specific angle? See, once again, to answer these very futuristic questions, we can just look at regular history. So as we go through different periods in history, you will notice that the commodity which is precious changes. At one point, England invaded the world for food spices. They just wanted right. spices. Like that. They invaded the entire world just to make sure that they had enough spices. It's a joke, but it is true. At another point, salt was a very important commodity. In some countries, sugar, cane became very important commodities. Then gold, silver, diamonds, platinum. So the commodity that is precious changes, oil, oil became important. Right. So now data is becoming that precious commodity. So when a precious commodity is stored somewhere, there are going to be people wanting to steal it. It's no different than any other commodity. Now, when people want to steal it, we have to put strong locks, strong safes. We have to protect our property. And this is no different than any other period in time. The only thing is people complain because they don't want to understand what the lock is. They don't want to buy the lock. They just want to complain. But mm. when they go to, here is the funny thing. When the same person goes to Starbucks or airport, they are happy to plug in their free Wi-Fi, which is a public Wi-Fi. You know, right. all their data is going through this public yeah. Wi-Fi to save a few dollars and then they go complain, oh, what is happening with my data? Why are these AI algorithms not secure? So it's all about whether you get along with the trend and understand the technology and then say, okay, this is the world we live in. We need these locks. We need to understand this basic stuff or we need to work with some experts. That's the way it is always going to be. Bad guys, good guys. Bad guys, good guys. Yeah, because data is a commodity. That's so true. That's completely accurate. You mentioned good guys and bad guys. So what about the fact that AI can help, let's call it the bad guys, black hats, that want to use AI to basically create more sophisticated cyber attacks, to automate their hacking, automate the DOS attacks that they're doing, or ransomware attacks that they're doing, or make altogether new forms of attacks that maybe they're limited right now, but with the use of AI, they can manage. Absolutely. Th th that will happen and it's happening right now, even in the past. In the 1980s, I remember... Watching some movies, people used to hack telephone lines to make long distance calls for free. Right. The idea is that if I go into philosophical idea about capitalism, we have limited resources and people are always fighting for those resources. So if everybody is given an opportunity to have those resources, we will have less of a problem with adopting technology or AI. What I'm saying is this is already happening today. Uh, what we need to rely on is that at any given point, 
5% of the people are going to be doing the bad thing. And 95% of people of humanity is counterweight doing the good thing. It's always like that in every situation. These black hats will get more powerful tools. And then the people in the defense side, they will also get powerful tools. Again, the key is that people who do not adopt it, they will be at a disadvantage. And that again happens again and again. People with more resources, they will be able to adopt the latest technology faster. They will get more resources in turn. And then people who adopt it later, they'll be disadvantaged. So these right. kind of conversations, if people listen to these kind of conversations, they say, okay, we need to get ahead. That data is becoming more important. We need to adopt technology to progress our culture, our community. That will be advantageous to them. So I think the people who are afraid of the possibilities of AI for security need to do what you just said and buy better locks, basically, to buy AI-empowered security systems that uh, yeah. tap into it to stay ahead of the curves. I mean, and and those are solutions are available out there. The idea is if people are concerned, because 98% of the people, when they show concern, they are not ready to do anything about it. So if they're concerned, the solutions exist out there, so they should do something about it but not yeah. complain only the change only happens when they do something about it it's one of those things i think it's a bit more intangible so maybe it's a bit more difficult for yeah. some people to understand yeah yeah else. that is, a, that is exactly but yeah. that's it if you want better sleep don't look at your phone for an hour before you yeah. sleep and you'll have yeah. much better sleep that's yeah. it you don't need a exactly. pill that's what you exactly. need yeah what about regulation because again if you're fighting ai with ai then the law enforcement agencies need to implement it too yes. which needs to be something that regulators push or at least budget for what about the advance of that? What do you think about that? Part? See, in my opinion, in 15 years, I believe even the U.S. president will take advice from AI. Regulations, law agencies, they'll all start to adopt AI slowly. And there will be regulations needed in certain areas, maybe not. It's, it's like the internet, right? Internet is an open technology, but still there are some rules and regulations. Like you cannot just use the internet to do anything. Although it is pretty free area where you can do a lot of stuff, but still you cannot spread violence or things like that. Similar kind of regulations, I believe, will come into play on AI. And then there's going to be probably some algorithms which may have so many deep implications. They may be banned to certain agencies, certain organizations. So a lot of these kind of scenarios will start to originate. For sure. Interesting. Okay. So we can expect the US AI National Security Advisor in the near term future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Interesting. Okay. So another example I think that is becoming more and more prevalent now is using deep fakes to cause harm. The obvious one is you take someone's whatever data that you have, you create a video of them doing something that isn't good and use that to destroy their persona, if you will. But one thing that I'm seeing more and more is actually scams that come from deepfakes where they take a video or audio of someone, use an AI model to regenerate it, create their own text, and then call someone in their family, like their grandmother is, a, is always the example, asking them, can you Venmo money? Can you send me money? Can you do this for me, please, grandma? Like, I'm desperate. I'm, I'm about to go to jail. And it's completely fake. It's from a blocked number, but they don't have the tech savvy to understand that. So they send the money, lose thousands of dollars. And 
obviously that this is something that needs to be regulated and these AI models need to have a pin in that. But outside of that, what can people do to stop these kind of attacks from deep base? On the technical side, yes, there can be mechanisms put in place. For example, these days when you buy a product, let's say you buy an Apple product, sometimes you'll see a stamp of authenticity on it, something along those lines. And then technology may emerge, which can say, okay, authenticated by the user, signed by the user or something along those lines. These technologies are not new. Imitation has always been there. Now, it's just that it has become more accessible and easy for people to do. But countries have been employing very sophisticated spying technology for ages. So these things are not new, but now how does society deal with it? Whether we trust each other enough that we say, okay, if I see a fake video of you, whether I'm going to blindly believe it and that becomes an epidemic or it just fizzles away, it will depend upon that. It becomes, if it becomes a big problem, like really big problem, then I believe there'll be solutions like authenticity, signature, digital signatures, put right in the video, put right in the image or something along those lines. The idea is this, as new technologies come, they solve some problems, they create more problems. If those problems become big enough problems, that creates opportunity for the entrepreneurs to come and solve it and then generate money out of it. Okay. And so almost like a biometric footprint that goes into the yeah, videos. Yeah, yeah. What yeah. about audio though? Audio as well. Once again, I don't believe it is going to be an epidemic. Okay. We all joke about the prince of Nigeria who wanted to transfer $31 million to us, right? <laughs> we all joke about it. It used to be a big thing 20 years ago, right? Then 15 years it's, ago, right? I still get those emails, man. Yeah, I yeah, still okay, get okay. those emails. So they have upgraded their technology. But it's not like an epidemic that, oh, the whole society is collapsing because of that. They have duped people out of hundreds of thousands, but it's not like a big thing that somebody will say, okay, I'm going to find a solution to this. But if AI becomes a problem, then it creates an opportunity for somebody to say, okay, let me solve that for people. That makes sense. And I think education plays a role too then. Just exactly. helping the elder, less technologically advanced family members, telling them, look, if you get a random call, explain to them that this is a reality. And so don't send me money right away. Call me back yeah. on my number just in case. Yeah. So things like that, I, I think could be happening. I think we should rely on a couple of things. One, common sense to prevail. Like, That's asking a lot these days. Though. That's asking a lot these days. I know, but the second thing is trusting the good in humanity. When we read the news, we just said it's all sensationalized. We think the world is full of bad stuff, but only 5% is bad. 95% is pretty good. Let's focus on that first. That makes sense. It's not always the worst voices that are predominant. It's just that they're the loudest. Yeah, yeah, and so exactly. because we hear them more, we think they're more realistic, yeah, but that's not always okay. Makes sense. I want to touch on one last fear that people are talking about a lot these days. And this is a bit more the people who know AI a bit more clearly. And it's on the transparency, accountability of AI systems. So obviously with the black box nature of it, everything is proprietary to the companies. So they don't want to share their algorithm and their details. Unless they open source everything, we don't know exactly what's driving their models and what's making things do the things they're doing. So when you think about AI systems for facial recognition, there's been proven bias shown towards people of color, for instance. When you're looking at other types of AI, recommendation AI can more 
likely have bias towards certain cultures, certain genres of music, for example. Again, we talked about the social media algorithms. They want to highlight the loudest voices rather than the largest number of voices that say the same thing. And it's almost like when you have a consistency towards something, when you have a feeling towards something, when you have a bias towards something, the AI refeeds that bias to you to validate that bias, even if it's not necessarily accurate. So what's the solution for this? Obviously, mm-hmm. we are trying to create transparency within these organizations, be they social media, be they AI platforms, but what else can be done? See, the thing is, the answer comes back to the exact same thing. So let's look at it this way. The raw material for AI is data. AI is an algorithm which reads the data to understand what is the pattern that exists. So again, going back to our previous example, data is the valuable thing here. People who have the resources, meaning rich people or people who are forward thinking, they are producing more data and they are harvesting more data. So obviously their voices get reflected more in the AI algorithm. So it's a cycle of society which is happening all the time. People with more resources produce more resources, consume more resources, they continue to grow. The good thing is that so far, human society has been growing in this cycle based on physical resources. So it was very capital intensive for somebody with less mean to extract the physical resources like gold and copper and you have to set up a mine which takes a lot of money. But now you can digitally mine. You can do a, I'm not in favor of cryptocurrencies, but you can just invest a thousand dollars and literally digitally mine Bitcoin. So the barrier of entry to produce the valuable resource, which is data, is less. So the more people become digitally aware, the more people participate and embrace AI, the more they will be able to rise. And then when they produce that data, it will start to reflect and remove the bias. Because the bias is nothing else but a true reflection of how society is today anyways. So we need to fix the society and AI can help. So it's that cycle. We have to use that cycle to equalize everything, which will then start to remove bias. That's easier said than done though, right? And it's a lot easier. It is. Yeah, 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 yeah. You mentioned wars in the beginning, and I love that as an analogy for this. We think about the world through the filter of our own traumas and past experiences and history. And so we almost reflect that onto the AI in a sense here. I think bias against people, yeah, sometimes it's technical difficulties, but bias against people a lot of times is just, yeah. It's just something that exists in humanity. But exactly. what about the technical challenges? Okay, some, sometimes it can't capture color correctly and it becomes more difficult to see. See, the algorithm has no shortcoming. Algorithm is just looking for that data. It's just, the thing is, it's basically just looking for the most common pattern. So if the data is not there, then the only option is I artificially fudge the data and say, I'm trying to avoid using racial stereotypes, but let's say you count 50 people and 10 of them are white, 30 of them are Indian, and 10 of them are African. And if you want to remove the bias in that real data, you have to decide as a human, okay, what do you want to do here? You want to make them one third? Because it doesn't represent the true reality, true the true world. So that's what needs to happen in every field slowly and then the data will reflect that. But that's the thing because everything is black box. Everything is proprietary. Everything is secret. We don't even know sometimes that this thing has a bias until it becomes a problem. 
Mm-hmm. So like facial recognition, it was being deployed in certain places and they didn't realize that it was flagging certain people more. And it's not always, I don't want to make it like a racial thing, but mm-hmm. it could flag people who are wearing orange t-shirts more than, than people who are wearing green t-shirts. Something as simple as that, because it somehow computes this because of data. I think this was something I read somewhere. It's like people who prison wear orange jumpsuits. So the data connected that information to yeah, the yeah. fact that they're criminals. So orange in its mind is bad. And like, we don't know that until it's flagging a hundred people falsely who are just wearing orange. There are open source frameworks available. There are as many open source frameworks available. There's always going to be like this proprietary thing with every technology. There's always going to be bias. Once again, this is not any different than a human being. When I go through a security check, like I can tell you that I get picked most of the time for the random check. Is that a coincidence or I can sense the bias? So the data is just reflecting that. And then that's all I can say. If if it's a black box, it is reflecting the true nature. And not everything is a black box. There are open source things available. People can start using it. And building algorithms is not a big deal these days. A lot of these algorithms are based on standard research, standard theories. It's the data that is more precious. If you don't have the data, then how are you going to train the algorithm? And still, I'm not convinced though, to be honest, because again, the biggest facial recognition companies, all of them are black box. They don't share their coding with anyone. And if we are trusting them to manage security and they're flagging people, not based on skin color, but based on like orange jumpsuits or whatever else, because their data isn't calibrated properly. Like, how do we solve that though? I'm not saying there's not a problem, but what I'm trying to say is that first, we have to quantify how big of a problem that is. So we need to do that quantification and say, it, this company's algorithm is 0.5% favoring this race versus this race. And then you can compensate for all that. But I think we haven't got that data yet to be able to say how big of a problem this is. There are rumors, there are things like that. But again, being a data scientist, I have not seen a study which says quantifiably how much... uh, uh, But it's difficult to have a study like that when they control the data. Even when you're doing models with OpenAI, for example, you have to give them the data set. They do the thing with it. They send it back to you. You have no idea what they might have done on the back end to change that. That's the the thing. It's a transparency issue more than it is a... No doubt about it. This uh, software to record this interview. We don't know behind the scenes what they are doing. What is the code? We're just using it. Now, if something goes wrong, let's say they put different faces on our faces and start selling this video. What are we going to do with the source code? We are using it in full knowing that I'm not interested in what is happening underneath the covers. If I'm comfortable with that, I can record this interview. If I'm not comfortable, then I'll say, I don't trust this. So I'll make another choice. That puts a good pin in it. I think this is the reality of doing business in anything. If you don't know how the sausage is made, even if you go into the sausage, you're not going to know what's correct and what's not. It could be chicken. It could be rats. You you just won't know. Exactly. Makes sense. Okay. It's the same with AI. Okay. Fair enough. That's a good place to move on from the general fears and talk a bit about the most prevalent one, the most sci-fi driven one, if you will, that we touched on a bit. And that's the concept of a super AI that will doom the human race. The Terminator movie is the Matrix. iRobots, I think is a good one where it's, oh, you're bad for yourself. So I'm just going to imprison you. 
that's the one I feel personally is the most realistic of the bunch because it's just based on everything we were talking about. AI is saying, oh, we're killing each other so often. We're the problem. So if you just imprison us, we will stay alive. If it's imperative is to keep humans alive above all else, happiness doesn't play a role, then that makes the most sense. But I think before we get into the juicy bits of that, I want to talk about the different technical aspects, because I think that's something that people don't always have full clarity on. So if you can help us define what AGI is as it relates to super intelligence, especially what the differences between these concepts are, uh, definitely as they relate to the singularity, for instance, and other factors like this. So artificial intelligence generally is very good at doing one thing. Meaning I can train it to self-drive a car, but that intelligence cannot cook food. AGI means artificial general intelligence. It's type of intelligence that can do many things just like humans can. So humans can drive a car, humans can cook food, humans can take a walk, humans can think. We can do so many things. AGI is reflecting a human capability to do many things. It will be able to do multiple tasks. Now, super intelligence will be basically when AGI becomes so strong that it itself starts to evolve on itself. So the growth of intelligence becomes exponential because machines will be able to think further and faster and that will be exponential rise in their intelligence. Ultimately, it will achieve some sort of super intelligence. And singularity is the point where intelligence becomes more intelligent than human being. I think. That will be the point where we will start approaching that super intelligence because intelligence will start to improve at an exponential rate at that point. Yeah, it's a point of no return, if you will, because once it's there, and especially if we've connected it to the internet or it's stored somewhere, then it could go back and reproduce whatever algorithmic data that it has, whatever personality we've essentially given it or it's created for itself. And then we can't do anything about it. What are your thoughts on this? I know you're more positive than negative, but are there any fears that you personally have, especially when we're talking about firstly, an AI that is equally or smarter than humans? And secondly, an AI that is connected to the internet. So it has access to every data point in humanity. Now, we can't consume the internet, but what you're talking about exascale computing, we're talking about quantum computing which this kind of AI would have to be tapped into, then it can basically read and consume, if you will, the entirety of the internet. So it knows everything from the darkest, deepest corners of the internet to cat videos. What are your thoughts on this? What are your fears of this, if you have it? So fears are that bad people will make use of that technology to do bad things. I don't believe AI itself, again, I don't believe technology will be nefarious or malicious enough to say, okay, I have now access to all the data, so let me teach them a lesson. It, it doesn't sound plausible for electrons to behave in that way. Just computer code running through silicon chips will suddenly develop this notion that I should teach them a lesson. I should take my revenge. That doesn't sound right to me. But some people can start to use it to you know, let's say make more deadly weapons or hack into banks easier or something along those lines. And again, for those type of things, we will develop counter effective tools to catch these people, to, to safeguard our systems. There'll be rules and regulations to punish people who do these kind of things. So you can treat 
also this technology AI as a weapon as well now. So if you use the weapon in the wrong way, you get punished even today. So it's the same analogy. Time and again, I think that's the theme that is emerging. All of these things, if you look at AI as a tool, we can find similar analogies for that even today. Okay. But you don't think the AI itself can be a force for good or evil. It's just a tool. Yeah, it's just a tool. The other thing is one other effect that I can think of is again, dependent upon humans, which is this is going to be a huge change in a compressed period of time. So IBM CEO has said that AI is going to add about $10 trillion to the world economy by 2030. Today, the world economy is $96 trillion. So that means more than 10% of the world economy will be added in the next seven years. So that's a very drastic, very fast change. That may cause some socioeconomic unrest. That will be the side effect of this. Now, if humans can come together, just maybe COVID was a dress rehearsal for all right. people coming together and helping each other or governments giving money to people and all that. So those type of situations may be handled that way. But the technology waking up one day and saying, you know, now I'm going to do this and that, that shows how much people underestimate human nature. What do they understand about human nature? You said it in the beginning, we have had wars, we have all this trauma, which causes us to have more wars. Yeah. If you think of the singularity as having access to all human data, so maybe you will not experience the trauma, but you will know the lessons and you will understand that this is always part of human evolution. We have wars, we have strife. Now, I have no idea how it's going to understand that and elaborate on that and expand on that in its cognitive capability. But you could foresee that being negative or positive. It could be partial. It could be, okay, I don't care. They have done these things. They have done these things. They have cured cancer and they've also killed a million people. What is the equivalent here? But maybe being a machine, it tries to quantify, okay, more people have died due to war than any other cause in, in human history, for example. I don't know if that's true. And so it has a propensity towards that. And it's, okay, if I'm going to be a part of humanity, I need to emulate that. You don't foresee that being a possibility. You don't think it's going to do that at all? See, see, okay. First thing is war is always going to be there. I, I don't mm. think, I don't think war will be eliminated. But if you see human evolution, earlier wars used to be bloody and cruel. Very, very cruel. Now we have international rules on war. We have war, but we have created rules for it. And we take people to international court if they break the rule of war. So you should imagine that in the future, the wars will be bloodless, right? It could okay. be more emotional war. It could be more giving stress war. It could be, again, unfortunately, some danger of biological weapons. If, if the traditional kind of war of dropping bombs and all that may be over. There's, because I'll share a story. A couple of months ago, I visited a, a jail where there were people locked up for decades. So they wanted to improve their life. They were doing course on entrepreneurship, planning a business when they get out. So we went there as mentors to help them. But I found that even with very limited resources, they had big vision. They had a lot of ideas. And a lot of people I meet outside, even with all the freedom, they have very narrow ideas. So the emotional jail is much 
more constrained than the physical jail. So the war of the future could be a mental war rather than a physical war. Okay, that's a tough one to think about, but that makes sense. I think it, it evolves. But wouldn't that give AI even more of an advantage then? Absolutely, absolutely. If it See, controls social is, media and our information flow? Yeah, so that's why it is so important for people to get involved. The more people get involved, the more they can use it, the more they understand it, the more empowered they are. So it, it, this is why same thing applies. Like people with resources, they understand this world better. They'll start using it faster. But then if we spread the message, which is what my mission is, spread the message as quickly as possible, as far wide as possible, so that people can take advantage of it in time and stay competitive. And what role do you think regulation can play in all of this? Are you a fan of, okay, we need to regulate the industry to some degree, or like I've heard people say, regulators don't usually have the know-how and understanding of these types of technologies. So what they end up doing is they actually hurt the growth of the industry significantly, or they move these industries somewhere where there's no regulation. So it's online, like you could do it from the Bahamas, no one's going to stop you. See, this is such a ubiquitous technology that it's, you cannot, you cannot, it's going to be worldwide phenomena. It's like the internet. Again, the, nobody controls it, but there is some control. So it's going to be worldwide phenomena. And then there's going to be, I think, lightweight restrictions or legislation. But I believe it will be more constrained on the local level. So local level, they will say, okay, you cannot use AI for this. You cannot use AI for that. At the international level, I believe it'll be like, you cannot use it for mass destruction. You cannot use it to kill water supply to a region or something. Whatever we think are reasonable regulations, I believe will be there for sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. I think we've gone enough on the negatives, on the doom and gloom side of AI. Hopefully we've assuaged some of the fears that people might have on AI and what it can do. Maybe we've created some new fears. Who knows? I think there's always a propensity for that. But let's move to the positives. And I think that's where really this gets to be fun. So the last thing we talked about was AGI, singularity. What are your thoughts on the positive ramification of this? If AI is smarter than us, I think you, you're going to have some more ideas, at least on the positive. Yeah, yeah. What can yeah. that mean for us? See, that is the age of abundance. Okay, because as I said, throughout human history, we have been just slaving away to collect more resources and become more comfortable. Now, the world economy, as I said, $96 trillion. I believe $60 trillion is spent just on the services side, meaning banking and insurance and all of these supporting institutions which support the production of the goods that we need to survive. So all of this will be offloaded to AI, then everything will become more affordable. And now in that scenario, we won't have that much time pressure. We will have hopefully less stress. And then again, enjoyment will become more of a regular thing in life. And as we solve the big problems, then we can satisfy our bigger curiosity, look for extraterrestrial life or move to another planet or whatever people's big dreams, I don't know, go for, I, all my examples are space related today. I don't know why, for but it. yeah, but, but that's what I'm trying to say. You will be able to go after your passions that you were not able to. Maybe climb Mount Everest, or maybe go on a world trip, maybe invent something new that can change the, the way that we live. So all these possibilities will be there. 
Do you think AI can help us get to Mars, basically? Is that what you're trying to say? AI is going to have to be there. No question. If an AI can do the calculation in trillion time faster, why will we refuse it in a scenario where we are going to Mars? Have you watched uh, 2001 Space Odyssey? I'm actually, I've watched it. I'm actually watching another one, Don't Look Up on, on Netflix. I've seen that yet. It's about an asteroid hitting Earth. It's very interesting. Okay. So AI could essentially also help save humanity, basically, as opposed to just destroy. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. I believe that is that will be the case. It. I believe we are getting into a very positive era of abundance mm-hmm. because people will be happier. They will be more cooperative. They will be more creative. And we will see some amazing things happening in the future, for sure. Makes sense. I think I touched on this on the first episode when I spoke to Derek. We were talking about, okay, if we don't need to think about food anymore, we don't need to think about anything. Yeah, maybe population control becomes a bit of a factor. But you just live your life. You don't have to work. You don't have to think about money. You just do whatever you want. If you give most people that possibility, I don't know how many people would really enjoy it. As it stands, like maybe we need to adapt. I think you said it perfectly. COVID maybe was almost a dress rehearsal for this kind of thing. I loved being on my own sometimes and having a routine and doing things certainly. But I know that a lot of people went crazy. A lot of people were trying to find the same interactions virtually with family and friends. Like they weren't able to do it. They weren't able to replicate it. So it was driving them crazy. It almost takes us an evolutionary transition period Mm -hmm. to get used to, okay, I don't need to do this and this anymore. Like, I don't need to book my own meetings. I don't need a virtual assistant to book my meetings. I just click Teams or whatever calendar app that you use. And that does it for me. That's it. This entire interaction that would have taken three or four calls or emails or WhatsApps now doesn't need to exist. Mm -hmm. It's the same construct. I think it's almost like we need to reevaluate how we look at the world from that perspective. It's happening, yeah, slowly. It will happen slowly. We won't notice. One day, if I just stop today and my life stops today and I come back in five years like in time travel, I'll notice a big difference. But slowly when yeah. it happens day by day, we don't notice. So true. That's so true. That makes perfect sense. I want to dive deeper into the nitty gritty now. Let's get into the technical trenches of AI, if you will. So when we're talking about AI, it's a conversation I've had a couple of times with some of the experts in the industry, something that maybe most people don't realize is, but most types of AI that exist today are either single model or mode to mode. So what we mean by that is when AI systems like GPT and DALI are very popular at the moment, most of them only use one of the senses, if you will. So for example, ChatGPT is text to text, Alexa is audio to audio. And then the other side of it is the ones that are one directional. So you have, for example, text to image like DALI, or you have text to video like Synthesia, which literally you tell it, this is the text, this is the transcript, make me a video. One part of that to me is when I think about all these fears people have, oh, tomorrow we're going to have AGI. This is still a long way away. We're not even done with multimodal generative AI. Let's hold our horse. But more importantly, I want to think, what is stopping us from having multimodal generative AI? What are the challenges and considerations that developers are taking and need to? I believe it's, it's the compute power, first of all, to have that kind of human mind is one of the most complex machines in the universe known to man. To replicate that, we really need a lot of compute power and to be able to do all this in real time and be able to look at all the permutations that exist in the universe. 
So it's a lot of compute power. And we are just getting started. The technology industry, silicon chip was invented maybe not even 50 years ago. As compared to other industries, energy industry has been around for hundreds of years, the construction industry, automobile industry. So they have had so much time to mature. We are just at very initial stages. The progress that we have made already is tremendous. Within maybe 10 years, we will be approaching this threshold where we will have multiple senses. Like I talk to people who are working on sound-related stuff. One guy I know of through a common friend, they are working on making AI algorithms for smell and taste. Oh, uh, cool. Yeah. I so didn't the, know that one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So the thing is, work is going on. You'll start seeing all this start to come up and everything. And I think it's happening so fast, even I'm surprised. I think it's not going to take more than 10 years. I'm guessing with exascale computing becoming more and more relevant now, that's going to be an accelerator for yeah, these yeah. kind of things. Right? And then because, obviously uh, quantum computing will be huge for this. It will be humongous because right now with binary systems, we only can look at reality in white or black. But we all know right. reality is multiple shades of grief. So the quantum computing will actually be able to give us access to all the possibilities between this and that. So yeah. it's going to be interesting. It's going to be very interesting. Makes perfect sense. I think that's going to leapfrog us when we have yes. the full capabilities. How far away do you think it is to have a generative AI that can use all the senses and give you responses in all the senses then? Yeah, as I said, I think 10 years. I think 10 years. For all of them combined? Yeah. Really? Just 10? 10. I was not expecting that. Okay. So you're going to be Alexa, make the room smell like cookies and it's going to be able to exactly, do that. Exactly, exactly. Wow. Interesting. Okay. And then we'll say, okay, before the cookies, just cook me a meal, just a medium rare steak and It's going to do that too? I believe in that. In 10 years. Serious. You, have, you, have you seen the recent example that Elon Musk said? Like that they're building a robot. I forget the name. The Tesla motor company is building a yeah. robot. And he has said that um, that product is going to be the most of the net worth of Tesla, that robot. So you can yeah. imagine how he's thinking. So you can extrapolate. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but the way that things are going, I believe we will be there. I think if a robot can cook me a steak in 10 years, I'm taking you out to dinner at an <laughs> AI restaurant <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and we celebrate. But 10 years seems a bit too close to, no, to this time. There are restaurants where they are completely served by robots. You, there is no mm -hmm. person. So cooking a steak is what? You have to read the temperature. And I believe there are automated steak ovens available today, but they are very expensive. Very expensive. That's a good point, actually. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. 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 no, it, they can even probably yeah. see the temperature with their eyes yeah, exactly. rather yeah. than having to insert a pin in there and then like they don't need to think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. One of the things that I'm interested in when it comes to AI is the idea of emergent abilities and capabilities that come out of AI. The idea that I think Sam Alton, the CEO of OpenAI, was saying this in a recent video where they're saying that people think about AI as electricity. You pump in more input and you get more output out of it. But that's not necessarily the case because a lot of times what happens is you give an AI algorithm certain things, you give it certain tasks, and perfects that task. But over time, as it gets better and better at that task, it learns how to do 
completely new task that you didn't know. And I think the example they gave is with ChatGPT, they were always asking it to respond in English. And so they were computing with it in English and it got better and better at responding in English. And then it got to a point where you could communicate with it in Persian and it could respond to you in Persian, which they had never tried to do. They, it was not part of the plan. So it just came out of it. It learned the skill yeah. on its own. Yeah. How does that happen? What, like, how the heck does that happen? So again, the way you look at the world is this. When you break down the existence, there are only few fundamental truths, few fundamental elements, few basic constructs of matter. Everything else originates in this world by combining different elements. So you mix water with earth, you get this. You mix sunlight with this, you get this. You mix one thing with the other you get new ideas. So ideas, they, when they mix together, they give rise to new ideas, right? The problem is that as humans, we are always going very deep in one field and our thinking becomes siloed. And we are thinking about one thing very deeply. But with AI, you can put in any kind of knowledge and it is all mixing together. So as it evolves, there will be a pathway that it discovers that does something better. It's, it's just like how we evolve and our DNA matches, right? So it picks up the most of the qualities from our fathers, most of the qualities from our mother. But there's maybe tiny little changes that happen. So it's the same thing with AI. Again, this is all my speculation. Obviously, I don't know what is happening inside the algorithm. But that's what I speculate that it when it is doing so many iterations of figuring out what is the right pattern? One iteration could be like such that it combines all that data into a mysterious way to produce a new output, right? Yeah, it makes sense. I think if you think about it from a trial and error perspective, right, it keeps trying and trying to do something. And if I ask you to get from point A to B, you're going to try everything you can. And I want you to drive from A to B. But maybe you're so advanced and instead of driving from A to B, you're like, oh, I'm going to fly to B. And I'm telling you, no, I didn't want that. I want you to drive there. Even though you've learned how to fly, I'm limiting you. And I'm telling you, no, now drive there. And so by the time you get to B, you don't just know how to drive to B, you know how to fly to Exactly. And so you've already evolved beyond that through your trial process. It's almost sometimes we, we should treat AI the same way we treat children. Don't tell your kids, you can and can't do this. Say, I want this from you. Yeah, yeah. How can you get that to me? Let them compute on their own and strategize how they could potentially give you that something. Exactly, exactly. And that makes me think of maybe theory of mind ideas where the AI has a strategic thinking of, I think, nine-year-old, not ChatGPT does at least. But over time, that's going to evolve beyond humans. And by the time you get to, let's say, 45, if it does, and I don't foresee that taking too long, then it's already smarter than most people. Because if yeah. you have the strategic <laughs> thinking of a 45-year-old, yeah. you're like, that's so I will argue even 20-year-old will, will be really... But strategic thinking, yeah. I think, is one of those skills that yeah. definitely you get better. And I suppose, but I have, yeah. I have, unfortunately, have met enough 45-years-old that I, <laughs> I think the strategy, yeah. Fair, though. I get what you mean. Okay, I think you're quite bullish on where AI is going and how fast it's moving. But where do you see the next big development coming? If we consider ChatGPT to be the biggest one to date or the latest of the biggest ones that we've had, do you think we can expect another revolutionary shift 
with the next GPT model, or is there going to be another thing that comes in, or is it maybe 10 years down the line, this multimodal system? Yeah, Where do you yeah. think that? I think the big shift will be multimodal. Now, the GPT models and similar models will continue to get better. I think they will, one thing will happen is ChatGPT is like a general platform used for everything. I think we will start to see specialized platforms like ChatGPT for finance, ChatGPT for healthcare, ChatGPT for law. Because humans, they want convenience. We want familiarity. We want to have specialization. So ChatGPT has built a platform and now it will be like verticals built on top of it. And then when video, audio start to mix together, like that whole metaverse start to comes together, then that will be the next wave of technology. So I believe that's how we will evolve. Okay, interesting. So you think it'll go more specialized rather than generalized? Gen What's yeah. to stop yeah. the current chat GPT to do all those things though? If it has access to all the data sets, what's the See, limitation? It's like saying that I can make a list of all the websites in a spreadsheet and then I can manually remember, okay, if I want to look up something, I go to this website. Rather than using Google, I can keep track of all this manually. Rather than hiring my accountant, I can keep track of all the entries myself. Using a generic platform like ChatGPT will need you to learn specialized skills, perhaps, which may be easier for you to learn in your specific domain. Or that system will be optimized to understand your language in a better way. Ah, uh, okay. I get what you mean. It's more about okay, how you communicate with it. So if you say, okay, do this for me, then it knows you have that technical perspective. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that the same as creating a prompt yeah. read yeah, that yeah, yeah, knows yeah. your persona? It's basically exactly. that, okay. Exactly. And I suppose so, it'll be faster as well because yeah, it has yeah. only access to the law yeah, yeah. side of things for a lawyer. Exactly, so it'll exactly. give you that response. Yeah, yeah. People pay for convenience all the time, right? People pay for right, personalization right. all the time. So that's what will start to evolve. I'm sure there may be another surprise coming. Apple introduced this new headset just recently. It was sort of expected, but some of the features were not expected. So people have very sharp reaction to that. So let's say that... It's so expensive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I don't know how mass market that's going to be. Yeah, so let's say some revolutionary product comes along tomorrow that nobody expected. That can change the world. But but yeah, so far I'm seeing with after GPT, I think the mixture of all the senses and then... Specialization will be the key. Do you think the shift towards AI will continue at this pace? Because I mean, if you were to ask people maybe a year or so ago, there would be like metaverse is the next big thing in technology because that's what Facebook was doing. That's what Mark Zuckerberg was pushing so hard. And now with ChatGPT, even Meta is increasing their investment in AI more than in the metaverse. Can we expect maybe another shift or a move backwards? Could this AR headset from Apple move things back to the metaverse maybe or? See, we should look at numbers. My opinion, your opinion doesn't really count. Let's look at right. the numbers, right? So ChatGPT came out in five days. They got 1 million users. It's been about six months. They have more than 1.2 billion users in six months. So numbers don't lie, right? So we can look at the number of headsets that were sold. Probably a few million. That's it. So, um, yeah. uh, even if they gave it away for free, it yeah, wouldn't be. I know. I know. Like... I know. So, humans cannot be bothered putting these expensive things on their head. We don't want to be constrained. We just want to be free. We want to use easy to use things. So, the convenience and the ability to solve real problems that 
AI has demonstrated. So it will continue to grow, in my opinion. Now, God knows what regulators will do. There are some countries who have blocked ChatGPT. There are some companies who have blocked ChatGPT. So you never know. There could be a surprise tomorrow that somebody says, oh, okay, this is just shut it down. Or God knows if that happens. Then, yeah, otherwise new technologies will keep coming out, keep evolving now. So what you're saying is convenience plays a key role, like ChatGPT is so accessible. That's why it's so prevalent. If this AR headset was like the Google Glass, Google Lens was meant to be way back when. I think it was almost 10 years ago we were talking about that. So it's just a pair of glasses you put on and you can do all the same things with it. It doesn't need computing power externally. It can do whatever. Then maybe everyone would tap into it like we have. Everyone has a cell phone. Realistically, we're okay to have a hardware assistant. It's just that it's not so. Yeah, but yeah, it could happen. What I'm saying is we should look at the number. Is it happening or not? I don't see the evidence of it happening. Right. So AI is happening. So obviously it's solving the problem and it will continue to do. I don't think it'll stop abruptly is what I'm saying. Makes sense. Makes sense. Okay. I know you want to talk about the numbers, but I'm going to keep pushing you away from the numbers. What about emotions? Do you think AI can ever develop feelings, emotions? Maybe let's go as far as to even say a soul. This is going into my uh, spiritual work. See, once you really understand what is soul, once you experience it, because the problem is most people don't know the definition of it. What What is it? like? And to be able to Think in terms of, okay, there will be somebody who will create an algorithm to create a soul. There is no such thing as that. A soul is basically an expression of the universe. And feeling is, it's just a chain of events that has happened over generations of your existence. That's how we are interpreting emotions and feelings. AI is running a mathematical equation and based on that data, giving us an answer. That's what it is doing, right? So if you can think as a human being that is your feeling an equation, a mathematical equation or something that cannot be replicated, then that should give you that answer that whether AI can feel something. Because mathematics cannot make you feel certain things. It's just going to give you an answer, in my opinion. I mean, I get what you're saying. I think... If you want to think about it in that scientific perspective, if you look at it neurologically, an emotion is just an expression of hormones in your brain developed largely through unconscious mind and subconscious mind interactions with you. Uh, Again, when you're thinking of like a gut feeling, I spoke again about this with Derek, but when you think about a gut feeling, it's not that you have this innate ability. It's that scientifically we've seen this, that your brain captures this data but your conscious mind isn't capable of processing that data. So your unconscious mind gives you this feeling, this yeah, exactly. notion, this yeah. sense. But it's it, you could argue that is very mathematical. Is that what you're saying? That it's I, not that it's the feelings themselves are mathematical and it's just that's how we I, express it and not... I don't think they are mathematical because the feeling is not our feeling. It has been learned over generations. Like that gut feel is the sixth sense. That, so it takes ages to evolve. Our gut feel is what? It's based on learned response to dangerous situations or where we expect more excitement, whatever it is. In order for AI to behave that way, at least for the next few hundred years, it will need to evolve. Humans have evolved for 200,000 years. In order for machines to have that kind of evolution, they will at least 
hopefully to 200 at least. That limits us by our evolutionary limitations, which is our physical form, right? Yeah, yeah. If we had just a brain, yeah, yeah. which the AI technically does, maybe we wouldn't be so limited, right? That's what I'm trying to say. It will happen fast. The evolution will happen fast after the singularity has been crossed, but it will still take time. It may develop feelings in maybe 200 years is what I'm saying. Okay. Yeah. It okay. may reach. So reach. you're saying it relatively considering 200,000, it's 1,000 the speed that yeah. it took humanity yeah. in, in yeah. that sense. Yeah. If speculatively speaking, we can convert a feeling, true feeling, we can figure out, we can even figure out ourselves what a feeling is. If I ask you, can you define what feeling is? Can we define right. like what feeling is? And it's subjective because yeah. we're using communication models yeah. to yeah. describe something that isn't yeah. tangible, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's always going to be a limiting factor. Yeah. Maybe we can never explain that to a machine. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. I want to keep you on the speculation track. Anything else you think that's going to come out of this whole AI revolution that we can't, maybe most people don't think about anything that's out of the ordinary in your mind that, oh, this is a cool thing, Aaron. I think, first of all, I think we are heading into a future where a human mind is going to fuse with artificial mind, right? So there's going to be like, when, as we, we speak about super intelligence and singularity, I think it'll become one with the human mind so that we will be able to find more solutions. I believe due to this, we will be able to find extraterrestrial life, which will, I think, hopefully solve some problems because we will realize that we are not so special. And otherwise, my speculation is like, it's going to be a really, hopefully, great world to live in, like less conflict. Okay. Yeah. So it's going to fix the problems rather than cause new ones. It will cause some new ones, but I believe, as I said, based on my theories, resources will become available to more people. More people will be satisfied and happy, less mm -hmm. less dissatisfied in their life and hence immune to any kind of conflict. So it'll make the work-life balance, let's say, a bit more towards the life and less towards the work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And do you think... The continuous nature of, okay, these big corporations are going to create these algorithms. Is that going to be the case? Or is there room for research labs or governments coming up with AI models that can match these as well? Absolutely, or absolutely. Going to be See, that is the magic of technology, especially this technology. Look at the evidence, right? Bill Gates started Microsoft in 1975 in his garage and turned into the richest person on planet. And then Jeff Bezos did the same thing. He, he started a website called Amazon in 97 and in less than 20 years became the richest person. He overtook Walmart. Walmart has been around for 100 years. So technology is always the equalizer enabler. Anybody can think of an idea, start a company based on AI. And the benefit is this time around, it is 100 times bigger technology wave. So if the internet, if we say, started in say 1990 in the first seven years it did not produce 10 trillion dollars probably not even like 10 billion but this time around it's 10 trillion in the first seven years so the opportunity right. is so much bigger just people need to roll up their sleeve and say okay this is the idea use ai to create this solution and that will be the next big thing i think it's all about yeah jumping into the fray and using it and it doesn't have to be this podcast is edited through an AI software, for example. 
You could use it to leverage whatever skills you don't necessarily have to make the most out of the skills that you have. Exactly. I think in maybe five years, we will see the first company with one person team going public. Wow. Interesting. Okay. Because they will leverage everything else to AI. That's, I like that because that could very much be the case. You use your skills, whatever they are, they should tangibly be more valuable than anyone else's, but then you use everything else. Makes sense. Okay. Anything else you want to add? Anything else on this before? No, we... this has been a very interesting conversation. Thank you so much. Thank Same. You. Yeah. Thank you so much. For the listeners who want to follow you. Yeah. Please connect with me on LinkedIn and tell me you heard me on this podcast and how I can, how we can help you understand AI. Perfect. Sounds good. Okay. Thank you so much. That was a lot of fun. Thanks. Thanks. That was, yeah, those were some really interesting questions. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah.